anger, sexual lust, the sorts of things that you experience when you're playing a video game. All these concepts originated with Karl Marx. So Kyle released the last episode on a way out and he named it and he named it the ballad of Johnny Spaghetti. Now, attentive listeners with really big brains might have noted that that is sort of an homage to our Days Gone episode, the ballad of Donkey St. James. That's right. And it wasn't until I read that that I realized to me, these games actually share a lot of DNA. Both of them are trying to deal with serious topics in a way that is so bizarre that it's actually very, it's funny instead. And both of them are trying to write this type of kind of masculine lumpen white guy that is clearly so far from, you know, who the writers are and who they know that it feels like it's an amalgamation of caricatures. Mm. You know, the um, neither, uh, I don't remember his real name, neither Donkey St. James um, from Days Gone nor the, the protagonist Civil Way Out feel even remotely like real people. These aren't guys that exist. Deacon St. John. Deacon St. John? <laughs> Deacon St. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's the problem that we're running into. Deacon St. John, yes. Phenomenal. Real name. Um, real, totally real. <laughs> very real thing. Such a fucking fake sounding name. Just everything about the guy is is a collection of tropes and and signifiers, but that you never get the impression that, that there's really very much going on below the surface. They feel like very shallow characters, and, and it's the same in a way out. Um I think that should constitute a genre, and it's my favorite genre, um, because being uh, a, a lumpen proletarian cracker, which I am, um, from North America, I knew a lot of people who were, I feel, in the vein of, of the sort of person that they were trying to depict um, while I was growing up, and nothing gives me more pleasure than seeing these bizarre, inhuman caricatures of them. Um, desperately trying to have serious like emotions on screen. Uh, I think that's my favorite, and more more games like that, please. Yeah, it's like new metal core. Dumb. I think I believe we have <laughs> called it. I believe we've called it in the past. Dumb guy media, which is also yeah, yeah. like it's it's try it, it's always trying to be hardcore, and it's always trying to like sort of it's it's a it's a it's a type of culture that's trying to overplay its hand like with extreme levels of confidence like that's the thing about dumb guy media is that it's it's um it's a mixture of um sort of like composite emotions mostly lifted from other pop culture and then also an extreme amount of unearned confidence it's like face <laughs> like facebook it's you're you're like that that guy from high school's facebook posts you know it, you know the guy who posts a lot of sons of anarchy memes um yes absolutely yeah i want to be i want to be inside their brain much more often than i am uh and i agree i think it we need feels more. like a beautiful place <laughs> <laughs> um i didn't find out until after we did that episode that the 
one of the main people making it has made like uh, has worked on films and, and has a history of like very like over the top like action comedy, which makes a lot of that game make sense to me now. Oh yeah. Um, there were so many comedic action sequences that are, but but at the same time they're expecting you to have this like emotional investment that just isn't there, and it's it's great. I think that's great. Yeah, it's the like I I believe they came out and said the sort of like auteur john garvin yeah who wrote the who wrote the game mm-hmm. was inspired by like all you have to do like it's it's a mix between sons of anarchy and the walking dead and you don't have to have seen sons of anarchy seen the walking dead or played days gone to be able to look at that and say yeah that looks like a combination of sons of anarchy and the walking dead um yeah yeah it's great it's <laughs> that game is underrated for none of the reasons that anyone who's a fan of that game would actually think, um, it's underrated as as a as a a dream within the cultural imagination of the middle part of the past decade. Um, <laughs> and I just like, yeah, I I want to see. Not only do I want a sequel, um, I know they're not getting one, but I think they're making they're making a movie. Um, a Days Gone movie? I believe I believe so. And I'm gonna Oh my god I'm gonna watch yes. every single frame of it. Fuck. We we have uh unironically thrown around the idea of just doing another Days Gone episode <laughs> because we have so much to fucking say about this stupid game. That's the first So that would thing give us a great excuse. The first one we want to revisit. It's the first thing we have openly talked about revisiting. Um like seriously trying to revisit a game that we've already done it was the first thing that was proposed and i think that's <laughs> yeah. i think that's not only very special but says a lot about our little show here and it's great it does and like i love our episode on it it's not that the episode was lacking for anything it's just that this text is so accidentally rich <laughs> we could the whole podcast could be about days gone that's a days gone po- we- rebranding as a days gone <laughs> podcast insert days the- gone's are bastards <laughs> Insert the moody, like overwrought music for that game. Oh fuck! We, it's just it, we were a Days Gone podcast, but instead of actually podcasting, we just talk to ourselves the entire time because <laughs> that's all that guy does. It's just a, it, like inner outer monologue syndrome, protagonist syndrome in a game that's explicitly about being as quiet as possible. Um, is very funny to me. Yeah. Every now and then we'll play like a Jordan Peterson clip and that'll be the stand in for like the weird libertarian radio guy. And we'll be like, oh, I don't know about that, Jordan. I don't know, man. Yeah, his too that's much a little a, politics for me. Yeah, I'm kind I, of an everyman. I'm you know? a radical centrist. Yeah, he's too much of a radical centrist. Um, <laughs> he's in a biker outlaw. Well, I mean, we talked about like we touched on like biker culture and stuff like that a little bit, but like. We could spend an, an entire episode talking about that game just within the context of like the like the American biker who are are absolutely they're like the most violent radical centrists. And it's always been very interesting to me, mostly because I've had God bless them. They were always nice to me, but I had friends from high school who ended up in um it wasn't not the Hells Angels. It's a different I'm trying to remember the name. They're in a different biker gang i don't know if they're still rolling with that crew or whatever but um yeah they were all kind of like deacon saint john i'm not gonna lie they were all independent radical centrist no one understands me new metal core um and 
yeah, I don't know. I wish I wish them the best. Um, and I hope they don't break anyone's legs. That would that would not be that would not be good for them or the person getting their legs broken. Well, jury's out on that. They might like it. <laughs> we're not we're not a hundred percent sure. You gotta pay good money for that, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I, I've developed a deep sort of pity in my soul for like upper middle class, middle aged guys. Um since just like knowing a lot of sex workers, mm-hmm. it's like these guys aren't doing so good. No, they're really <laughs> that's kind of what I'm learning. They're not. They're <laughs> things are th- things are not great for that demographic. Yeah, it's like I don't listen, you know, these ladies do good work, but I'm not sure if that's that's necessarily what these guys need. I think they might need some of these guys probably should be institutionalized actually, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Which is relevant to our topic of discussion today. Yeah, that's right. I don't want to. I don't want to make. I don't want to make the audience uneasy getting into the game too early in the mix. Um, you know, have you got any? What have you been up to? Um, I, I did. Did in, it, they released in a confusing order? But I, I had a, a guest, a guest episode with Reese on uh, a little while ago because Kyle was was MIA, uh, unable to game. Um, UAG. No, unable is one word. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I, I'm writing it as two. That's fine. That's fine. Yeah, no, yeah. So I, I've been busy. Um, without uh divulging all of the uh, uh particularities of my situation, I can say that um uh I had a baby. Don't you want to know where babies really come from? And so now I am feeding a baby. Um, that is my new gaming. Um, and here's how it's similar to gaming. Um, <laughs> you have to, there's uh, it, there's strats that you can use um, to prevent mm-hmm. spit up um, by tilting the bottle in a particular direction. Um, much like a, like a, there, it's a lot of QTEs. You know, it's time for feeding. Mm-hmm. So you got to hold them the right way for the right amount of time um, because otherwise she'll, she could spit up. But then also you got to make sure that, you know, you're mixing your formula right. Um, very similar to the episode that came out uh, the other week um, in that a random man appears with a knife and you have to press X and square and triangle. A lot of activity happening in kitchens. Um, so... It's it's a very Resident Evil-esque experience. <laughs> um, you sort of become the Leon of your situation. True. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, no, it's... That uh, makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of... Uh, um, you know, I, I, I feel a little like the infected uh, sometimes, but I think mm-hmm. that's just mm-hmm. sleep deprivation. Um, yeah. You gotta, you gotta keep, gotta keep it alive or it's game over, right? <laughs> In many ways. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's like hardcore mode where they delete your character if you die. <laughs> it's an Iron Man uh, run. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, you know, we, uh, um, I have been using it as an opportunity to play uh, Breath of the Wild 2 Electric Boogaloo. Um, oh, nice. And the good, the good part about, I think my favorite thing about um, parenting an infant and playing video games is that you play video games so late at night that you have... The only memory you have is the experience of playing it 
rather than any of the actual content. So I'm looking forward to my second playthrough of Tears of the Kingdom uh, so I can let everyone know what I th- actually think of the story and stuff. Because I read, the, I read the dialogue, but do I remember a single aspect of the story <laughs> of that game? Absolutely not. No, it's ancient. Link's got a weird arm. There's sky now and caves. Um, and you there's have to, sky now. There's uh, sky now. There's sky. There's cave. And you needed a, a BA in engineering to do a lot of it. So I'm uh, <laughs> instead becoming a cheesemonger. Cheese, cheese, cheese. I cheese everything because I have a um, well-documented, terrible attention span. And so I can maybe, I, by the time I attach a few things together using the in-game magic or whatever, um, I've, already, uh, I've already forgotten what I was doing. So, uh, um, yeah, I've been doing that almost exclusively. I think I've done other things, but again, I don't remember. Um, <laughs> so if anyone has been spying on me, now's your opportunity to actually pay me back for all of that spying um, and just let me know what I've been up to over the past several weeks. Um, and that yeah, would guys, be great. Show Kyle the documents. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm glad that you explained the whole thing to me in language I could understand because I was freaked out a bit. <laughs> I saw this picture of this, like, it looked like a human, but really small. And I was like, I don't know what the fuck that is. Don't show me that. <laughs> I'm very upset. But now I get it. I understand that it's a good thing. And that's look, because of video games. It's like video games. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> so if you heard, yeah, anytime someone is confused by uh, seeing the small child, I'll just ask them if they've played Resident Evil. And they'll be like, oh, I get it. Okay. That makes sense. Um... Also, speaking of, I still have not played Tears of the Kingdom. I, I've, I've got a genuinely horrifying list of like games mm-hmm. I'm meant to be playing. And it feels like if you have uh, two video game podcasts, you probably should be pretty on top of that. But I don't have any time. <laughs> well, yeah. I played a bit in the new Armored Core. That's... Oh, it looks awesome. We could podcast about that one day, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Armor, I, I am... I am... I have my face pressed against the glass of Armored Core 6 and the new Baldur's Gate because oh my god I okay so I'm 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 really like up to my waist in this like um summer research program for the uni and I've mm-hmm. forbidden myself from from so much as opening Baldur's Gate 3 until I've done this pretty big thing I've got to do in the next couple weeks. Cause like very smart. It will not get done. It, it won't happen otherwise. Yeah, don't don't <laughs> trust yourself. I don't that's why I haven't played it. I don't trust myself. I got things to do. No, that that's a game that I'm gonna like open my eyes and a month will have passed, and I'll be like, oh fuck. <laughs> it looks aw- it looks awesome. It yeah. I I it just looks really good and I really want to play it. <laughs> It feels good um, for there to be like good stuff that's out there that I know I can play when I've got time. I feel like there's been a lot of really good shit this year. Like fucking tier, between Tears of the Kingdom, Baldur's Gate 3, and Armored Core. Like this has all been within like a few months, right? Tears of the Kingdom, was yep. that in July? It was relative. I think of the three of those, it definitely came out first, but it's been the, sum- yeah, the summer a- has been wildly good for big games like that and i feel like there was another thing that dropped recently that like looked really good but i already already don't fucking remember (laughs) because there's too many games (laughs) i'm I'm gonna ask google yeah what's what's coming out there's a few things coming out later this year i'm excited for 
everyone's kind of talking about um the studio that made Lords of the Fallen is just rebooting it, and the new one is also called Lords of the Fallen, but it looks like really good. <laughs> the The original was that. notoriously kind of bad, so they're just like Mulligan, Mulligan on that. We're just yeah. doing it again. No, 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 no. <laughs> never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind. We're gonna do just want just just wait, 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 wait. You forgot about yeah, that. Don't look at that one. You forgot. You forgot. Shh, shh, shh. <laughs> I feel like Crow Sworn is coming out soon, maybe. That's like an indie game I've been... I don't care how like egregiously you rip off uh, like Hollow Knight and Bloodborne. Just do it. Yeah. I want it. When it works, it works. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Blasphemous 2, I think is coming out soon also. like. Oh, yeah, it did. I think it... Uh, I think I, I thought I saw someone playing it. Oh, shit. Is it out? Hold on. Hold on. I got to check this live on the pod. Man, that first game i've been was, so busy it could have easily come out and i wouldn't have fucking realized it did the first game five amazing. days ago, it came out five days it came ago. out five days ago Fu- okay so this is also something that it's like eventually i i have to play this when i have time oh uh, yeah i'm just looking at like the screenshots on the steam store fucking let's go dude i played uh dredge a little bit um which is something that people were uh, chirping about online um this indie fishing simulator that's also a lovecraft horror game mm-hmm. and while i have as always uh infinite seemingly infinite opinions about the quote-unquote lovecraftian elements they're not terrible necessarily i thought the game itself is great i really like the art i like how it, i like how that game sounds and feels i like its texture um yeah it's really interesting and so if, if you're looking for something cheap um that's something i think people could play there's a new pikmin I liked Pikmin too. It's the only one that I've played. I've never played a Pikmin. I don't. I don't fully understand what what you're doing in those games. What What are you What are you up to in Pikmin? What happens? You take you're you're a little spaceman guy who uses these different colored little plant alien guys to uh, um, move through the environment. There's some. There's like light combat. There's light puzzling. It's very like Nintendo, and it's. It's very satisfying. It's a very satisfying game. It's like you, you control this little these little crowds of alien guys um and take them through different environments and yeah, it's like it's a it's a it's a really good wide audience uh kind of game. A lots of different types of people. I played the they, the first ones came out when I was well, I was a teenager, but I think the first one was for GameCube and yeah, I don't know. I would play I'd play that. Probably not. I'll play it in about 10 years. At the rate that I'm going to be able to play games, <laughs> I can play whatever we're talking about for this podcast, and then maybe one other thing every month. <laughs> and that'll that'll just be what it that'll just be what it is. That sounds about right, to be honest. Oh, do they reboot System Shock too? Yeah, I, I played I played like a bit of that, and it's it's really good. If you're like me and you love old games, but you there is always this kind of wall between you and some of the dated mechanics. Like some people, it doesn't bother them at all. Some people, it, it makes it unplayable to them. For me, it's like, it just creates a certain degree of separation that I yeah. can still enjoy it, but it's never, I'm always thinking about how I'm moving and interacting with things in an unintuitive way, I guess. Um, Interesting. So the system shock remake so far seems like it's doing a really good job of keeping a lot of what is aesthetically and like structurally interesting about the game, but it's, you can just move around it like a game from this fucking century. Mm. It's good. 
Um, they made a lot of really cool aesthetic decisions. It's very rare for a remake, uh, I think, to be aesthetically like as interesting as the original. Um, I, I've got a lot of beef with how remakes tend to really miss the aesthetic appeal of the original, like the Demon Souls remake, for example. Um, but but this, I think, does a really good job, and people should play it. Yeah, it has an imagination to it, what it looks like, which is cool. Yeah, and it, you know, it, it doesn't quite feel like the original System Shock, but it doesn't quite feel like a modern shooter either. Like, it's very, or I should say immersive sim, rather. It's very much in its own, you know, it feels like it exists somewhere between a game from today and System Shock, the original. And I think that's perfect. You get you get a little bit of both worlds. This this is my micro review for the new System Shock remake. You should play that. Um, I, yeah, th- uh, there's been a lot of games I've played like a couple hours of, and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. If we decide to do an episode on it, I'll come back and finish it. But I don't have time, so it's getting kind of backbench right now, and that that is one of them. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. And come September starts uh, my dissertation year of my degree, so I'm sure mm-hmm. I'm going to be even more not on top of yeah, I was uh, say so that's when all of your free time you're gonna have all of your free time that's gonna be you'd be so loosey-goosey for that entire time nah it'll be fine yeah I might start just exclusively doing YouTube videos about what I'm researching anyway because I won't have time to do anything else <laughs> I recommend that if it does if you can't make it in 48 hours do that and that is my that has been my policy which is why I only make things that I can that I write in an evening and record and edit in another evening and just let that be that cuz god I I I work so much slower than that I <laughs> I just can't I like I would I would I used to take a lot of time to make stuff but yeah now I have what can I get you in 8 minutes basically yeah yeah honestly I think at least for the next year that might have to be the attitude I take um, or I mean, you know, my, my release schedule has slowed down, um, in the second year of my degree, which I've, I've completed and it, I might just keep that pace. People don't yeah. seem too upset about it. Nah. Although you do get the odd comment when you haven't released a video for like a couple of months and then you release one and they're like, Oh, you're back. It's like, I didn't leave. I'm, I'm just, this is what, this is what we're doing now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, it's much more mundane than that. Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not one of your uh, up- uploads every week type freaks. I have two jobs and a degree, and I got podcasts. And I'm <laughs> one day I'll sleep. Don't worry about that. Yeah, but that's... one day, one day. <laughs> but enough fucking whining, enough whinging, mate, as they say in the United Kingdom. We do you want to you want to get into do you want to get into this fucking game? I'm ready to uh, invest in the bureaucracy of the Torment Nexus. (laughs) All right. The next installment of our prison series, um, following up the bizarrely slapstick A Way Out, we're getting into Prison Architect. Welcome to the world's best lock-em-up. Prison Prison Architect, to me, is a game that really wants to have its cake and eat it too. This is a game where I was kind of surprised it had a campaign at all, but the campaign really revolves around these, at first glance, critiques of the prison system. Um, 
your the very first thing you do is uh, you execute a prisoner. That's like the first mission. And something kind of interesting happens where like the priest comes to like do whatever the priest does. Final confession, I guess. Um, and he is kind of there to like offer a counterbalanced opinion to the use of state power. You know, he asks like the it's it's not the warden because like you're the warden, but like the chief or whatever. Like you know, are you sure you have authority to pass judgment like this on a human being? And he, the chief says something I really liked, um, which was you know the courts have already sentenced him. You know, it's out of our hands. We're just doing a job. You know, we we are fulfilling a neutral mechanical process here. The actual decision has been made by someone else. We can completely wash our hands of it our conscience it doesn't have to weigh on it and i liked that a lot because i've watched um a number of of documentaries about prisons and i think the farm is the one i'm thinking of here Mm. in which they talk a lot to the warden who says the exact same things you know it's very much like this is you know these people have been sentenced it's not for us to say whether they deserve it we are just fulfilling our duty as a prison and that allows him to kind of remove responsibility for you know what actually is happening in the prison which is is quite grotesque um in a lot of ways because theoretically he hasn't made any decisions of anyone's guilt he's just providing a prison um and it it allows him it allows him this this lack of 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 culpability uh that i found really interesting and I kind of feel like the whole game ends up feeling a bit like that, where they offer up these critiques. It's it's kind of tongue-in-cheek when you play the game. Uh, if you play, like, the regular mode, like, problems will come up and the mayor will call you and be like, the voters feel like prison is too cushy, so you gotta take away their TVs for a month or something. Um, it's always decisions being made by someone else. Yeah. hypothetically, even though you are literally building and, and managing the torment nexus, <laughs> which I think is quite funny. How did, how did you find your, um, your agrarian labor simulator? Yeah. I found, I found it's a really weird, it's a really weird game. I'm not surprised that it exists in the universe of a million different management Sims, which is one way to look at it. Right. The, it's a very like considering the existence of management simulators across different depictions, like, you know, anything from, you know, you're managing a farm, you're you're managing like a colony in space in the case of a game like RimWorld or like there's there's you can manage an entire city. You can manage like there's any number of things that you can like sort of like managerial simulation experiences that you can have for yourself. You can find you can find yourself in any number of positions and almost always in fulfillment of the abstract capitalist necessity or bureaucratic necessity. We we talked about a game on this podcast that's um was literally like it was a management sim, but you're a landlord. And like now that game was terrible and not well made at all. And this game is, you know, for all intents and purposes, fairly well made. But like when you dig into the like the campaign mode acts as this extended tutorial sequence, it's obvious that this mode didn't did not initially exist when this game was conceptualized. It was it was clearly conceptualized as a man- management simulator but in a prison setting. Um and then the campaign was added. 
Um, I believe I read that that actually is the case, but I was I was just assuming that from the jump. Um, right. the The story does contain within it this sort of like self reflective criticism, but what I think is like what what's interesting about it, but I think unremarkable about its own criticism is the its attempt to constantly try and absolve itself through its story Mm -hmm. this this game is trying it tries to justify its own existence on the one hand through the different story the different uh campaigns that offer some level of critique it's it's absolving itself by having by writing the perfect character the perfect execution victim right and how like fucked up is that well i mean it's necessary for the game to be able to sort of exist within its own moral framework in order for it like in order to to create the perfect yes the and to spoil it the campaign the first part of the campaign um you are literally building the execution chamber mm-hmm. um for uh someone a death row inmate that you're already housing who murdered his wife as a again it's very donkey saint james he murdered his his wife was cheating and he in a crime of passion he it's literally the plot of chicago the musical <laughs> like it's that <laughs> except it's the it's the man instead of roxy hart i think is her name how do i remember that i saw the movie in theaters um i'm old uh <laughs> so but like and then he has this whole sort of like self-reflective all the stuff that we don't really get to know necessarily because in the actual prison system people who are are in maximum security prison people who are in solitary confinement and people who are on death row are like so often their ability to talk to not to not just like send messages outside of prison um and not just communicate with their loved ones but communicate with people like journalists and stuff like if if a prison decides that and we'll talk about it when we can when we talk about the prison riot section of the campaign but um i know from a lot of the reading that I've done on the topic, especially around the Supermax prison in Youngstown, Ohio, um, and the results of the the Lucasville prison riot, prison uprising, excuse me, in 1993, journalists are really interested in talking to these, not like many of them, death row inmates after this prison uprising, um, but they're unable to because their you know ability to speak to people on the outside is being policed. Um, in the same aspect that their testimonies in court um, or uh, like they're being used, there's, you know, the physical evidence is not being used against them to describe what happened during a prison riot, but other testimony from people who are getting cut deals by prosecutors and stuff are being used to describe um, what happened. Yeah. So the game, the game is constantly sort of I think it's what, it's what actually makes it most interesting about it is that it's using its own sort of like system of knowledge to criticize itself as a means for absolving itself. Um, because you are like a, you are a voiceless bureaucrat until the game sort of gives you permission to start like doing rehabilitative programs. It gives you it's always optional to do the right thing. You can be a total tyrant. Or you can actually, you know, or quote unquote, do the right thing. Or you can actually like try and reduce recidivism and other things that are associated with the like sort of reform minded, the, like the more reform minded people who are interested in any kind of 
advocacy for people who are incarcerated or trying to change like people anyone who's not just like your most like grizzly demon like lock them up and throw away the key very much like like the mayor <laughs> in this game who frequently refers to the prisoners as animals who cannot be controlled yeah and stuff like that so i i was i was just looking for an article that i i was looking at that i found really interesting earlier um basically the the game devs are trying to present their game and to be fair this makes sense to do because you are trying to sell a product to gamers who freak the fuck out um because they have reddit instead of brain cells um if they think you're doing politics unto them um so they talk about how the game is designed so that an overly humane left-wing sort of approach to prison won't work quite right and also an overly punitive right-wing approach won't work quite right um having played it a bit i don't think that's true i think you i think it is much more geared towards an extremely like punitive and fucked up um treatment because that's how prisons uh, work right um you force them to labor and it makes you a ton of money which you can then spend to pave over any of the other problems that might be created by your the poor treatment of your prisoners yeah it's a pri- it's a private prison and thus yeah the profit motive is even more it's it wears the prof- profit motive outright like other management sim games do yeah and and what bothers me about it is it wants to act like it has these hot critiques of the prison system like in um in one of the the chapters of the campaign there's like a hostage situation and it has this really kind of corny scene where the ceo of the prison is held at gunpoint by a prisoner and he's like oh we we extended your sentences to make more money and the prisoner's like whoa and it's it's acting like it's this huge shock revelation it's like yeah that's that's what all of them do um i felt simultaneously talked down to and also, like, I was dealing with an idiot a little bit. Uh, it was like, the people who made this game, it's like, did you guys just hear about this? Like, what do you fuck it? What are we doing here? Um, however, when you're actually in the mechanics of the game, none of that stuff really matters. Um, you can force your prisoners to labor. I built, like, a huge farm. And I was just like, I want to see how this works in the game. And your prisoners don't really mind. Um... It's they're either, you know, you you give them the training to be a farm worker and now they're farm workers. And when you designate its work time, they go and do it. And what you don't see is the the all the elements of coercion that are important in that system of of forced labor. Um, Something I mentioned in a, a video from a few months ago I did on solitary confinement is that solitary itself is used as a threat if people are like. I don't want to go out and work for, you know, pennies a day, actually. It's like, okay, fine, you don't have to. Uh, We'll put you in fucking solitary confinement for, like, weeks instead. And then they go, Jesus Christ, I guess I'll go work for pennies a day. Um, There's none of that in the game. And there there is some kind of dark stuff where I feel like that would have actually been a very interesting mechanic is um, willingness to work and... It puts you in a position, it puts you in a specific class position then if you're thinking about it that way, because you can control their wages and 
you might find, you know, if I pay them more, I don't have to deploy these quite like brutal tactics to get them to work, but then I get less money, which I need to for all these other problems in the prison. Um, but instead, that tension just doesn't exist. You assign them to the job and they're doing that job now. Problem solved. And it's this very, you know, we want to we want to act like we're critiquing private prisons and stuff, but the prisoners are kind of treated like numbers on a spreadsheet in the way that somebody running a private prison would treat them, which kind of, it doesn't work. Yeah. It's not able to sort of stand up to what, well, well, and it, it ends up sort of doubling back on itself and becoming it's the, the base of knowledge that it's working from becomes useful again, because it doesn't understand the own sort of, the dynamics of observation and power relations that are present in like places of incarceration and prisons and jails and stuff. And in that, like if prisoners are some kind of an automaton through which either punitive measure or rehabilitative measures are articulated, uh, well, you know, that's all well and good for the sort of like radical centrist position of this way of thinking about incarceration because it's not just about the like existent it's not just about the brutality within the private prison system and the way that it's used to extract profit from an extremely punitive societies that we live in but it's the idea that it's not uh, we, we talked about it in our first episode when we were when we referenced your video on solitary confinement, we're talking about um, presentable liberty because what 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 solitary confinement, the threat of it and its actual experience does is demonstrate how it's not enough to discipline individuals, but you have to try and attempt to remake them and to transform them. Um, there's a transformative process in prison labor as well as in the rehabilitative quote unquote measures of the prison system that are looking to discipline and sort of retain a measure of humanity that is ultimately not to get too theoretical with it too fast, but that's ultimately a, a creation of humanity's own becoming. Like the human species isn't something, and this is mostly the Foucaultian line, but I think I think it's really useful for understanding the sort of functions of a, a system of knowledge that leads to incarceration in the way that it is and to the concept of rehabilitation or rehabilitative justice within the context of the criminal justice system is that the function, the foundation of our contemporary society as disciplinary and controlling is determined by this shifting scheme of those ideas that has, it's changed very radically after the modern period, um, after the 17th and the 18th century and into our contemporary period as well, because we have to consider the evolutions in this idea of the sort of the unseen architecture of the prison on the one hand architecture that's not meant to be seen that that's not meant to, to use used to be seen or to observe, but to as well articulate control from an internal position articulate control from within and this it's what Foucault called the spatial nesting of hierarchized surveillance which I think is it's a found it's foundational to the sort of 
the shifting scheme of observation and control that on the one hand you have like the complete and utter brutality of the prison system that relies on threats and threats of violence and actual violence, both systemic and uh, more immediate physical violence as a way of placing restraint on people. But then you also have the observation, the idea of observation, a, a, a sort of set of knowledge and, and control over the body um, as a means for basically the the triumvirate of law and power and knowledge as its way of authoring reason, scientific observation, and ultimately kinds of confusion uh, of confusion of exclusion internally in these systems. You can see it in the DLC for these games when you can make you can build a there's psych ward DLC. Oh yeah, like the yep. <laughs> which is like yeah, sure that that makes sense. Um, it's 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 focus on the inability of you to sort of address. Well, that's just the way things are. Um, as you hear from the politicians and the CEO or whatever. Well, this is the law, and we have to carry it through or whatever. Oh well, yeah, on the one hand is true, but then on the other hand, it it gives you these sort of like this is what I mean when I say that the game is trying to absolve itself from its own existence Mm -hmm. because it's solutions to the sort of totalitarian problems that it sees in the, like just this like explicit physical violence um, and like obvious and external cruelty. Um, The alternative is an internal control, like, like more intense behavioral observation and the creation of new norms the expansion of power in the inner functions of discipline from individual people. And so even when you become good in the eyes of the prison, it has, you have still become more human. And it's, I think it's up to people to try and determine whether or not that's an absolute good in the way that sort of these types of ways of thinking through incarceration claim to be. Um, because I'm not personally convinced <laughs> that, you know, confining the mad um, and trying to sort of impose ultimately artificial social reason on madness when it, most of the time that madness has emerged from system- particular systemic criteria. Um, people don't just like you're not just born, quote unquote, mad. You become mad like you don't ju- you just you're not born. Although some people feel this way. Um, you're not born, you know, criminal, you become criminal. Mm-hmm. And so like to be born and sort of wrapped up in this entire process is how things actually work. Um, I think a game like Presentable Liberty actually cuts to the core of that um, and, and like demonstrates it in a really like while also predicting the future or whatever, which that's still, you know, <laughs> the game about yeah. the, the game about the pandemic that in, that saw you like confined to one small room that is is a prison it feels like a prison but it's not inside of a prison and you're you don't know what's exactly what's happening to you you're besides very controlled messages being passed in from the outside or whatever all that happening um you know 10 like what like eight years or coming out eight years before (laughs) that actually sort of happened um yeah yeah is interesting to me so the thing about 
becoming criminal or becoming mad um, is my understanding is this happens when you fall into vats of acid. <laughs> That's the main way that transformation takes place. Yeah, yeah. You be- when you become the toxic Avenger. Um... Yeah, exactly. Um, something that I found really interesting um, is that that ties into that is, is um, just kind of because of the nature of a management game like this. It all takes place in isolation from everything else. Um so the notion that there would be a better way to deal with somebody who is, you know, quote unquote, criminally insane, um, than the type of institution you have here, it's, it's the game, the structure of the game makes it an irrelevant question because, well, they're here. Yeah. We have nothing outside of this. This place exists completely disconnected from the rest of society. And it, interestingly, you are fined based on recidivism. Mm-hmm. And obviously the things you do in prison affect that a fair bit, but there are so many outside of prison things that affect recidivism, like the ability to get work and housing, um, the, the poverty that probably put these people into the position they're in, in the first place, not magically being gone. A lot of that is, that is far broader than the physical building of the prison. Um, and so it's very, in a way, it's very confining in in our ability to think about what causes these problems because the recidivism rate is dictated in this game by what you're doing in the prison. That decides it. And you are responsible as as the warden or whatever. You get docked money if people are reoffending because that's the idea that this is something that is a problem that is determined by and thus solved by how prisons are structured, I think is a pretty um, grotesque one in a lot of ways. And that has this sort of normalizing effect on like, yeah, no, of course, you know, we have the psych ward. This is what you do with mental illness, right? It's just a different type of prison. That's, you know, it it becomes a, um, you know, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail situation, which to be fair is that that is how a lot of people think about criminal justice in general um, is okay. What kind of prison do we need for that? You know, this is the prison segment where we solve the problems with prisons. Like that's right. It's appropriate, I, I suppose. Um, but at the same time, and again, that's also fine if you want to create, if you want to put the player in this psychological space, right, where the only imaginable things to address these problems with are prisons. But. If you want to do that, I feel like there's an an increased obligation to accurately depict certain aspects of them. And we've talked about a couple, but one that really stood out to me as well is um, the amount of time you can put people in solitary confinement is not very high. There's a lot of a lot of things like possession of narcotics is automatically you can change it, but it's automatically punished by solitary but it's for like a few hours and that's, that is not how solitary confinement is often used. It's not like a little timeout. You go in for the afternoon. You could be in there for weeks or months or even years. Um, and, and so it's, it's these subtle little ways that it just makes these incredibly serious things kind of feel like they're not that big a deal, uh, which I found really interesting because I, at one point I was expanding my solitary ward because there were loads of people waiting to be put into solitary. And then I started looking at like, okay, why are you going into solitary? And it's just like, he's got some contraband on him. So we're going to put him in there for like 
two hours. <laughs> and it's like, that's not, that's not how this is used. And it's such a wasted opportunity because I feel like it could create, uh, not unlike the labor situation, it could create the, this interesting moral problem for you where it's like, we don't really have better tools for solving X problem than just putting this guy into the torture room for a week. Um, a week, you know, if he's lucky. But instead, it, it is just this kind of harmless, you just, you go away for a minute sort of vibe. Uh, it's it's very, the the edges of it are really filed off in a way that I think does a an injustice to what it's presuming to comment on, you know? Yeah, it, what you, I think what you said is exactly right. And I think another example that jumped to mind is the um, it's it's mostly relevant for juvenile offenders, but the um, the concept of expungement um, is on its surface sounds useful and like ultimately a good thing. And I guess in our criminal justice system, it definitely is. If you if you get if you commit a certain level of crime, and if you're let's face it, if you're if you're the if you if you look if you look the right way and you talk the right way um if you're of a certain income background and of a certain race um and from a certain part of the country um there's a chance that you could be and it's your first time offense and you're a youth offender there's a chance that a judge could offer to expunge your record after you fulfill usually community service or whatever I know the ki- the kids who are going to juvie for extended periods of time or multiple times aren't getting these offers. Um, yeah, but if you fulfill your community service hours and you do everything that you need to do, you could potentially get your record expunged. The thing about expungement, though, is that it as a mechanism for re- preventing recidivism. Basically, you ha- you can't reoffend. You, if your record is expunged, the only the arbiters of that record are the police. The police. are the people who can see that you have had a previous record that was ultimately expunged um if you offend again and if you offend again that charge will go back on your record yeah and so all of a sudden there is this like this game isn't very good at like it doesn't have the sort of mechanical without having like a real story and being a management sim it's it becomes sort of closer to the the imagination of how people understand how this stuff works particularly from the outside but if you're in the inside and you've experienced it either personally or either through working with youth offenders in some kind of volunteer capacity, which I can tell you if you are passionate about teaching and writing um, or and young people or whatever, like it can be a very demoralizing experience, but it can be also be a really rewarding one it, uh, because there's or if, if you have experiences with addiction um, and you want to help people who if you want to help people with like accountability or to just sort of like to get clean, um, like th- like there's a lot of there's some really like rewarding volunteer opportunities, and sometimes people can get employed doing this type of a thing. But like you learn that it requires like an an extreme sort of there's an extreme anxiety that's pressed upon like young people who make mistakes in the eyes of the law. That is our the arbiters of that is the police. Yeah, um, they're the ones who choose what your record looks like. Ultimately, they're the ones who arrest you. They are the ones who um, are they are the observers. Um, they they are surveilling you in multiple ways. 
you know, not just uh, um, not not just the cops listening to this podcast or whatever, but the Hi. like <laughs> who who the girl reading this or whatever. Um, <laughs> the, the officer reading this. The officer, yeah, the officer <laughs> listening to this. Um, but the way that we're remade and transformed through discipline, um, and the relation, the these uh, like social economic and and sort of in a broader sense power relations that we experience when it comes to the criminal justice system are so much about like the way like who is the, who is the arbiter of this particular form of discipline um and what are just not the ways as this is i sorry i went on too long but the exact point that you were making is like it can't ever just be about what's going on in this particular place because that takes as face value is has and always shall be this type of disciplinary power and incarceration like the prison as this like almost theological like object on which we project our anxieties about you know the bad parts of society um and a, a means for confining those elements of society away um that absolves us from this anxiety um I think like, you know, I mean, this, the, the game isn't, I understand why it's unable to articulate that, um, as like, as a management simulator with an added campaign mode, that's ultimately just a tutorial. But I think in that, in that inability to articulate this, we end up actually as usual criticism, well, not criticism, but like we end up closer to the sort of actual problem, which is discipline and this gap in our knowledge and understanding of what actually happens. To people who are incarcerated and you know all kind all of the stuff you don't see right yeah and, and it's appropriate that you talk about how prison is it takes on this almost theological form since you know i i know that you know but uh so many early models of, of prison were deeply embedded with religion and and with the idea that a proper sort of religious um let's say education and repentance and, and, and meditation on your crimes could theoretically, you know, make you uh, cure you of the ontological evil that made you a, uh, a criminal, a crimist in the first place. But I, I, I think, yeah. And, and I want to preface some of what I'm saying with the acknowledgement that like, I don't even know how making a prison management sim, you could not do these things. I feel like it might, a problem with the very idea for this game but it is it does definitely put you it puts you in the mindset that's described when the the police chief is justifying executing the man in the, like the first chapter of the campaign right someone else has made all these decisions we're just carrying them out and so what the fuck ever happened with the police and the trial and and anyone who's looked looked into these things with a critical lens um, it should be immediately skeptical of pretty much everyone in prison, whether they should be there, whether they should be there for as long as they are. Uh, it, it is a profoundly um, corrupt and manipulatable. Is that a word? I'm going to say it's a word malleable. system. All right. We're going to say malleable college over here. No one words. Uh, <laughs> Shut the fuck up. Those, those, are, those, are my, those are my words. Like you don't know words. K Haas cosplays as a Vembo all the time, and it's a total <laughs> lie. And I support them in their in their journey, but you know, 
That's bullshit. You know it. <laughs> I love. So the first thing about me is I love to lie. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but um, because because it's such a you know the system is fucked. Um, so the fact that you the only information you have on a prisoner is the crime they were convicted of and how many years. Um, that's what you've got, and so you you kind of have to run under the assumption that everyone else did their job, you know, quote unquote correctly, because otherwise the whole fucking thing falls apart. You couldn't. What the fuck are you supposed to do? Mm-hmm. Investigate the case of every single person. Like it's it's not feasible within the confines of your role. So it encourages you to just go, you know, I assume this was all done correctly and everyone here ought to be here. Yeah. And and so the game itself, just the very concept of it, it doesn't really invite, I don't think, that sort of that sort of critical thought about the mechanisms by which these people end up here because there is no outside world. A bus sometimes arrives with prisoners from a road that you can't see where it goes. And the rest is a fucking black void, uh, around the prison and that's it. Um, and, and so in, in a way it's, it's kind of this very fascinating accidental meta commentary on the prison itself, because it's like, you know, this is an Island. It's all, it's basically its own fucking nation with its own policies and we just don't think about what happens outside the walls. And that's kind of interesting. But then, on the other hand, there's a zombie DLC. <laughs> Did you notice that? No, I didn't notice there's that. There's a zombie DLC. Um, so. We got to do a whole thing on zombie DLCs. <laughs> I'm going to say anything interesting this game does is a fucking accident. There's a zombie DLC. <laughs> Yeah, like, man, I did not know that. That's interesting. Um, well, you know, the DLCs, like the DLCs or some, some of them are like, I think there, the D there's a DLC that added like a gang, a system of gangs. Um, like there's a lot, there's a lot of DLC for the game. Um, in a very sort of like in, in the, in the typical management sim sense, right? Like, like, like a game like the sims where it adds like you know certain aesthetic qualities or it adds like one additional component to the like already present gameplay zombie zombie dlc yeah hold on i'm I'm just i'm pulling up the like the banner image for it because i find it very funny oh my gosh Uh, i see it oh my goodness I find something a little suggestive about the guy surrounded by zombies in the middle there. Yeah, it's uh um it's there's there's conflicting things going on, I think. <laughs> uh Undead brings a whole new scenario. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> In a way, this feels inevitable to me because the the refusal to ask so many of the questions that we've been talking about. And in a lot of cases, I find it to be a very limited form of critique to be like, well, the game should have done this or this. But because of the content matter that it's, you know, trying to talk about, I think it's actually very relevant to be like, it's weird that this doesn't come up. And when you don't go into a lot of these details, you help cement the prison as just a fact. The prison is an inevitable 
it, it, it's the place where these people get sent. And if it wasn't here, then they would just be roaming around in an empty field because they just get sent here. So I better build a prison. Um, you know, it just becomes this like obvious natural thing. And once you've done that, and once you've, once the critique of the existence of the prison is kind of out of the way, where do you go with that? You just start treating it like any setting, like a, a setting for a schlocky horror film, like say a zombie movie. And that's, you know, t- to me, that makes perfect sense to go there once you're at where this game is. You know what I mean? Yeah, Call, call of Duty at it. Call of Duty put zombies in. Call of Duty put dragons in. You just kind of retreat into... They the, put dragons like, in? I think so. I think I saw that in like an E3 trailer. They, there's just <laughs> like the a... <laughs> yeah, it, you just kind of retreat into this... Like the, the, like the warm... The warm paste, like fluid paste of contemporary cultural imagination which is just this kind of like i mean it's like on the one hand capitalist realism and on the other hand this like procedurally imagined collection of ideas from social media and pop culture more broadly it's interesting how like it makes me think of it's this is a weird example but you know it's it, it made me think of like that book for um this the steamy book for ladies in their 40s 50 shades of gray oh right i remember when that book came out um and i worked at the time i was working at a fat uh, an unnamed fast food restaurant and um it was actually an okay like it i didn't get paid shit but i had okay managers and so i stayed there for a couple of years and um i remember my managers were usually were women in their late 30s and i think mid 40s and they were all reading this book and so I was aware of its existence. They had made a sequel or whatever. And then I learned at one point, and this still feels fake to me, but I know that it's true. The story for Fifty Shades of Grey actually started as, what's her name? Stephanie Meyer was writing Twilight fan fiction. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. And that's so, it's one of these things that just kind of feels like you make it up, right? It feels like, like <laughs> I, like I, I made that, like I dreamt that one time. And so like, what, what do people call it head cannon like it's it feels like a head cannon um just like the, the the way that i interpreted it turns into this kind of like fact like and people use that kind of they use that's my head cannon they use it ironically because i know that it's wrong but it it's affected the way that i think about this cultural thing yeah but then like as it turns out the like we're in we're like you know three layers deep in terms of the dream of the contemporary uh of of contemporary capitalist realism and we keep falling further in because now it's all about reboots and remakes and remakes of reboots and stuff like that oh yeah what if we had a willy wonka prequel where he's a plucky entrepreneur huh (laughs) what if they put yeah what what if they put a twink in willy wonka Um, twinkie wonka (laughs) twinkie twonka Twinkie twonk. But no, like, and and like, and, and then, you know how everything, like, what's that, that, I don't even know if this is true, but I just read about it on the internet, so it must be. Um, The sort of, like, weird evolutionary predilection for becoming a crab. Sometimes things just randomly become crabs at the end of the day. Oh, yeah. There's something in things that are on this planet that make them try and become crab well like you know all games will end up at zombies if they go through enough dlcs and they end up in like because 
there's it, not not because that's some inevitable outgrowth of the way that we think things through in culture as people, but because there's something underlying um, and that something is capitalist capitalist realism. There's something underlying our cultural imagination that kind of makes it default back to these at any given time, sort of like presentate modes of presentation. And so, yeah, put zom- put zombies in prison architect, put dragons in it, give the whole thing a new skin and actually make it an, an end story of the walking dead, which was part of it was set in a prison, I think in the second season or whatever. Oh yeah. Um, make it, uh, Make it all Blue's Clues somehow. Um, <laughs> yeah, put Bluey in in prison. Prison Architect. I know that's a different show, but like, Blue is in jail. You want to know why? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, she collaborated with the the the, the salt and pepper shaker. Uh, money laundering. Money laundering. I was gonna say sarin gas attack, but yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> money laundering. <laughs> <laughs> they're in guantanamo bay <laughs> no i think i think like i think undead dlc is like perfect of course it needs it and the other thing that i wanted to get out um before i forget is the you were talking previously about the like the way that we like the inevitability of prison as this like thing that papers over our ability to actually understand why people end up getting incarcerated and there's a there's a i think it's the third chapter of the campaign that is all centered around a prison riot we've referenced it here and there and i just want to point listeners to um a book by um a, a hero of mine who i've talked about on youtube quite a bit called stoughton lind who stoughton lind was he worked he lived in Youngstown, Ohio, um, where there's a, the the state supermax penitentiaries in Youngstown, and through his relationship with people who uh, attempted to talk to people to tell their stories about mostly solitary confinement, he was also he went he was an academic, got blackballed for his opposition to the Vietnam War, and then went and got a law degree and became a labor lawyer. So of course I love him. He was an academic historian. Um, and then went and worked in the labor movement and also in prison reform as a peace activist. He uh, um, wrote a book on, um, it's essentially an oral history that involved him and his wife, Alice, who's just as important and who doesn't get mentioned as much sometimes, even though they co-wrote a lot of stuff. Um, They went and did court observation and volunteered as legal assistants for inmates for who were involved in i think what is the biggest prison riot in the history of the united states that it was an uprising that lasted for 11 days where 450 inmates um everyone from and like i I swear to god everyone from like very religious muslims to the aryan nation and the gd the gangsters disciples um came together to for a riot and took over the prison for like over 10 days um and for this sort of like variety of grievances that i'm sure are all really understandable uh like religious disrespect in the case of muslims um like extreme violence and like retaliation from oh baby's crying um this violence and retali- retaliation at the hands of corrections officers um and this uprising lasted a 
it lasted 11 days. Um, and there's a lot of ambiguity around the results of the prosecution of what's who's known as the Lucasville five. Um, the Lucasville five, a lot of them dispute the idea that they are, that they, they say that they were made out to be ringleaders because rather than physical evidence, the prosecution relied largely on oral testimony from people who, um, were given, you know, their sentences were commuted and like all this other stuff. Like, like there's all of this stuff that we don't know because the supermax facility in Youngstown or some of them are housed in, um, Chillicothe. Um, the, these facilities are basically, they refuse people like journalists who want to talk to the Lucasville five and get their side of the story. Right. Um, not only is this like, there's a whole book about it that I really recommend. It's a cheap paperback that you can get. It's also for free. It's very easy to find it free online. Uh, that's where I shop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the, 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 the library of people posting it on the internet. The, uh, um, it's on Libcom. Yeah. It's on Libcom if anyone wants to find it. Um, there's just that, like, it's just all just to say that, like, these guys who are now on death row, um, for their involvement in the uprising, um, we we the 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 bottleneck of the incarceration of the criminal justice system um prevents us from really having our eyes on what happens in uh, full from fully understanding the system they are constantly paper roving they're papering over their own actions and then re- referring to law as this sort of like divine thing that can't be changed um and it isn't worthy of critique it's all this sort of like you know, law as divine virtue and their role as an exempt as exemplifiers of that set of virtues. Um, and it's important to think about when it comes to incarceration, because they want you to see things a certain way and they want you to have a certain sort of like perception of what they do and why they do it and its level of importance for contemporary society. And I think we should be skeptical of all of that. I guess that's all. That's Honestly, I think a, a great note to conclude the episode on. Uh, if I, I mean that to me is is the the thesis of this whole fucking prison series, really. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I I think that's one of my big hopes with encouraging people to think about these things more, to think about depictions of it in in the media they enjoy more. It is to encourage that sort of line of thought. Mm. Um. For now, we're we're gonna have to retreat to the confines of the paywall, where patrons can hear us talk a bit more about this. I've got something I want to say about prison protests in relation to this game, um, and also we're probably gonna talk about something really fucking stupid. If I if I had to go by historical patterns, um, so we're gonna try to keep it you know fifty fifty on that. Um, but for those of you in the peasant seats. Uh, you can consider supporting us at patreon.com slash agab. Agabpod. Agabpod. I'm, I'm going to get it right one day. Just, Just like the wait. Twitter handle. Just like the Twitter handle. Follow us on there. Subscribe to the Patreon for bonus episodes or bonus segments of the episode. I don't know. Go go there. You, you can not find out in- for yourself. It's a mystery. Yeah, and to that point, you should go join the cool people because there's not an insignificant amount of you who have pledged support and i just want to say thanks you are all good looking and smart and um yeah people uh people like you they say nice things about you when you're not around 
Um, and yeah, when you join the AGAB Patreon, you grow half an inch. Um, That's true. Either yeah. vertical or horizontal, your choice. Yeah, exactly. You get to, you get to choose. That's pretty exciting. Um, and as you as you might have heard earlier, she was chiming in. You know, Kyle has a baby to <laughs> supply with tiny novelty Nintendo GameCube controllers. <laughs> so we recount on you guys to fund that. Really, yes. Or no, yes, I think please. it was a, a an Xbox controller in the legendary Control Alt Delete panel um, <laughs> after the miscarriage, where he's got like the little baby controller and he's crying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah um if you want to prevent loss um give me money so i can teach my baby how to play how to play Fortnite. um so she i gotta get her on twitch um as soon as possible um she can almost hold her head up so i think uh i think she should put her on par with the average twitch streamer like intellectually (laughs) that's fair (laughs) (laughs) all right kyle where can can the good people at home find you uh, on the internet, um, uh, at Labor Kyle, uh, you can go to YouTube. I put out a video, a short one, um, recently that, um, you might like, um, it is the, oh, it is not the recent episodes that we've been doing, but in our more absurd takes on video games, it's the complete sort of sonic op- opposite the kind of the kind of stuff that I've been making, Agab is for fun, um, and YouTube is for being probably excessively serious and sentimental. But um, yeah, you can you can go to that, and you should. It's really good. For me, um, I have a fucking link tree now. I'm just gonna I'm gonna put the link to the link tree in the thing. You, can, you find it all there. Go look yeah. at all of it. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Blue Sky, I'm on YouTube. I'm on I'm on the Neopets forums. <laughs> posting about chemtrails still. I'm still on that one. Uh, it it didn't go away. Yeah, we're in the the secret serve Club Penguin Agab server. Um, <laughs> That's yeah, where the real spin- shit goes down. Yeah, we're spinning we're spinning the wheel on Neopets. We're uh um <laughs> we're in the underground of original RuneScape. Let's not go that far. all right that's it from us um we'll see you behind the paywall and for everyone else goodbye all gamers are bastards Ah, ravioli. Ah, mamma mia.